I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 297. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. Where I'm going in scripture may seem to be a bit of a stretch to link to today's song, but if you stick with me, I think you'll see how I made the connection. Cochran and Company has this great song, Church, Take Me Back, and it's talking about returning to church. And while the story we're going to explore today doesn't talk about going to going back to church, it does talk about returning a lot. So before we dive into scripture, let's listen. Take me back to the place that feels like home, to the people I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse where they've seen me at my worst, to the love I had at first. Oh, I want to go to church. I have been studying the book of Ruth for the past few weeks as I've hosted a Bible study in my home. And so it's not going to be a surprise to anyone in my Bible study that I would have Ruth on the brain for the podcast. But when I consider the lyrics of Cochran and Company's song, I realized that there was a thread of commonality there that really could lead us to the book of Ruth without it being too much of a stretch because the song talks about returning and the book of Ruth talks about returning. So I'd like to talk about where they are returning from as well as where they are returning to. And you'll know who I'm talking about when I say they in a minute. We're going to read the first few verses of the book of Ruth. So go ahead and come with me to the land of Moab, an alluring place that seems to offer life but instead only brought death. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so come with me to the land of Moab. We are going to follow the bite of exploring the historical background. And bite is an acronym for Bible Interaction Tool Exercise. And these are just exercises I use to engage with scripture. And exploring the historical background is an integral bite to understand 
the significance of the returning and what Naomi was returning from. So when we travel way back in scripture to the land of Moab, we see a land whose ancestry is traced back to Lot's drunken, incestuous relationship with his daughters. So if you read in Genesis chapter 19, after Lot and his daughters had escaped the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 30 says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all earth. Uh, come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that he that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. That's how the Moabites got their start. But that's just the beginning. These are the people who, not too far back before the days of Ruth, hired Balaam to curse Israel. You can read all about that in Numbers 22 through 24. I'm just going to read a few verses out of Numbers 22. It says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, at Jericho. Okay, this is uh, before they entered the Promised Land. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pether, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he who whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now that's an interesting story all in a, of itself, but I just want to point out that this is the king of Moab, all right? And so these, this is, we're, we're focusing on Moab, who, who, where these people came from, what kind of people they are, and, and um, that this was a land that Elimelech took his family. Now this plan uh, to curse the Israelites did not work because Balaam could only speak the words that God put in his mouth, even though he really wanted to pronounce cursing on Israel because really all he cared about was money, but he couldn't. And so when that plan didn't work on Balaam's council, the Moabites sent in the ladies to seduce the Israel, Israelite men into sexual immorality and ultimately idolatry by all of the people of Israel. And let's just look into that. It says, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And then a big plague happened. You'll see if when you go and read it. But how do I know that it was on Balaam's council that this happened? 
since it really doesn't specifically say that here. Well, Moses actually says so in Numbers 31. In verse 16, Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So if you've read this before and you never saw that, I thought that was interesting when it hopped out at me as I was doing my research, that Balaam was unable to, to have a cur- uh, place a curse on Israel because he could only speak the words God gave him. But instead, he gave really wicked advice that wor- that did work, right? So send in the ladies and um, and draw the men away and then ultimately the people. And uh, that's what happened. And this this had lasting consequences on the people of Moab as it relates to the Lord, because we later read in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet with you, meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you, Balaam, the son of Beor from Peter of Mesopotamia to curse you. All right. So these are the people. All right. And not only that, but uh, sometime in the days of the judges, King Eglon of Moab tormented the people for 18 years before God sent a deliverer to offer respite. You can read all about that in Judges chapter three. And if all of that isn't bad enough, the God of the Moabites, little G, was Kamosh, and he was worshipped through child sacrifice. So this land that Elimelech traveled to for refuge, to be filled because there was a famine, it was a strange choice, don't you think? I like how Christopher Ash puts it in his book, Teaching Ruth and Esther, and I will link that book to in the show notes. I used a lot of his information to help me prepare, um, well, for my Bible study, but also for a lot of it came out in the podcast today. He writes, this is not, things were difficult in town A, and so we migrated to town B to find food. No, it's more like things were difficult in our home country, so we immigrated to join the Islamic State in Syria. All right. So that is that, you know, that kind of brings it into cultural perspective for all of us in uh, 2019. So they went to Moab and lived there. Okay, so this land seemed to offer provision for a family suffering in a famine. But a place outside of the blessing of God is always a dangerous place. And then not only did they travel to an unholy place, leaving the promised land, but they set up shop. They settled. They marry Moabite women. And so we don't really know what kind of men Elimelech and Malan and Killian were. Their actions speak volumes, right? Leaving the promised land instead of trusting God's provision, marrying the very people on whom God has declared a long-lasting curse, and the result? Death. Lots of death. So all three men die in the land of Moab and is it's coming out of this backdrop of death that we see the uh, Naomi return. This is a really good place to use the bite of writing in your Bible. You could underline or circle or highlight every mention of the word or the idea of returning. Now in the ESV version that I used to study this week, I see 10, 9, 10 instances of the word return or turn back just in chapter one, verses six through 22. And that goes ahead and solidifies this 
as a theme of chapter one, if not the overall book of Ruth. It's one of the themes, in my opinion, uh, and in the opinion of Christopher Ashe. So let's read it further to understand. Uh, Verse six, then she arose with her daughters, she being Naomi, daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back. My daughters, I'm giving you the emphasis here. If you want to listen to it again and find it in your Bible and underline, turn back, my daughters. Who will you go with me? Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Ten times we see turn back or returned in just one chapter, and it is the returning that sets up the whole rest of the story. Naomi returns to the land of promise. She comes back bitter and empty, but she returns nonetheless. Orpah turns back from following Naomi to return to the household of her father. And to be it, to be honest, it was a sensible, logical move for her to do this. There was great risk in what Ruth did. It, there was great risk in Ruth's choice. And as you saw, Ruth refuses to return with Orpah. Instead, her actions reflect a little something more in her relationship with Naomi and what she understood about Naomi's God. I urge you to really spend some time in the book of Ruth and look at the actions. And of course, in here, Ruth has this beautiful, these beautiful statements. So her words as well, but look at the actions of the people in the story and you will learn quite a bit about them. And isn't it interesting as you examine verse 22, a type of summary statement for the setup of of this story. Again, Naomi returned and the Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. 
So what are those details that the author considers important? Well, that Naomi returned, that Ruth was a Moabite, that they returned from Moab, returned was used twice, and that they arrived in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, by the way, which is also very interesting, um, at the beginning of the barley harvest. So I chose this story upon upon listening to the song, Church, Take Me Back, by Cochran and Company, because for many, church was a place that we may have grown up in, and we may have left it for a land that seemed to offer more. And I am not saying that church is the promised land. The metaphor is not exact here, but consider uh, that the world is a type of Moab for us, a place where other gods are worshipped. This is not much of a stretch, don't you think? A place that seems to offer fulfillment, but only leads to death. God's way and his body is where we are to stay connected. The body of Christ is the big C church and plugging into local little C churches or bodies of Christ is his New Testament design for us. I had a short conversation with a Jewish studies professor in the airport this weekend, and he said that the borders between Moab and the promised land were probably more gelatinous than what we think of borders. You know, he said, you don't, you don't really need a passport to get to it. Perhaps. In this case, I think that Elimelech should have known where he was taking his family. And as I consider that statement in light of the border between the world and the kingdom of heaven here on earth, it reminds me, uh, it reminds us all of our own responsibility in knowing exactly where those borders lie. So we don't seek fulfillment in the land of curses and death. I know I'm going to go a little long today, and I don't want to leave you hanging as far as the story goes. I encourage you to read all four chapters of Ruth. That is the bite of reading in context and also the bite of read and keep on reading. Get through the whole story. It's short and a good one. Spoiler alert, Naomi returned bitter and empty, but God provided a redeemer for her to end up full. And at the end of chapter four, when we see God's redemption, seriously, go read it for yourself. It's so beautiful. I've spent so much time in it over the last few weeks, and I'm sad that we only set aside four weeks to study it. But there are, at the end of chapter four, when we see God's redemption, there are words of blessing from the community of women upon Naomi. And it says in 14 and 15, that the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, which literally means, which literally is cause to return. And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. God is a restorer of life, a causer of us to return to him and his land of promise through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, the ultimate redeemer of our souls. So what's next? Well, read Ruth, the book of Ruth for yourself, as I mentioned. Highlight or mark all instances of turning back or returning. Uh, There's a whole bunch in, in chapter one, and then there's a few more at the end. Really meditate on this theme and consider what God may be saying to you through his holy word. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Instagram at michellekneezat. My Facebook, public Facebook page is Michelle L. Nizat, And let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who've subscribed recently, like Kathy from Australia, Amy from New York, Carrie from Indiana, Sarah from Illinois, Lisa from Iowa, and Cadence from Michigan. 
welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites I've used on this podcast. It's a great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode and you get instant access to any of the extra resources I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying Thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, if you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet, this really encourages me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Twiceborn, who comments on episode eight, saying, thank you for emphasizing nothing. It's not just the things on the list, but nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. Romans 8. Oh, it's so encouraging with this truth. Romans 8, episode 8, by the way. Thank you, Twiceborn, for taking the time to review and post. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using the song Rescue Story by Zach Williams to lead us to scripture. This was a request by my listener, Donna. Now, if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 297. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.